Hello, good afternoon. Welcome to the marketplace. Coming up, inflation falls to 40.1% in August from the 43.1% recorded in July 2023. A slowdown in the rate of increase by 3.0 percentage points with the rate of inflation slowing down from 43.1% in July 2023 to 40.1% in August 2023. Takeover of National Investment Bank by Agricultural Development Bank is a done deal. We will be bringing you the very latest on that. Plus, Electricity Company of Ghana said to be making huge losses following um, amounting to about 3.2 billion cities as of uh, July 2022. We've introduced various meters, and now we are at the point where we've brought in the MMS. These are ways to, to trace or to reduce losses in the chain. So if anything happens, it's a matter of communication. We've got details of these and many more lined up for you. Please stay. Always a pleasure to have you on. I am Pius Kojubaka. Let's now settle for the details. And the year-on-year inflation for the month of August 2023 fell to 40.1% from the 43.1% recorded in July 2023. Food inflation witnessed a decrease to um, 51.9% from the 55% uh, recorded the previous month. For the first time in the year, inflation for imported products recorded a rate lower than locally produced items. Here's government statistician, Professor Samuel Kobnemi. Line figure for August 2023 rate of inflation stood at 40.1%, indicating that between August 2022 and August 2023, prices of goods and services generally have went up by 40.1% over the one-year period. That is, between August 2022 and August 2023, general prices of goods and services went up by 40.1%. While we continue to see higher rates of inflation, this is the first time that we've seen a slowdown in the rate of increase in our rate of inflation. Last month, July 2023, the rate of inflation stood at 43.1%, and this was on the back of consistent increases in the rate of inflation in the last five months, and we're now seeing a slowdown in the rate of increase by 3.0 percentage points, with the rate of inflation slowing down from 43.1% in July 2023 to 40.1% in August 2023. Based on the disaggregations from a food and non-food perspective, we recorded a 21 percentage point difference between food inflation and non-food inflation, with food inflation 51.9% for the month of August 2023 and non-food inflation 30.9%. Respectively, food inflation and non-food inflation have slowed down by 3.1% and 2.9%, given the rates that were recorded for July 2023. Further disaggregating the headline figure of 40.1% for inflation on imported items and inflation on locally produced items, inflation on locally produced items stood at 42.4% for the month of August 2023, relative to 86.2%. 
36.2% for inflation on imported items for the month of August 2023. In the last 12 months, this is the first time we've seen a higher rate of inflation for locally produced items relative to inflation for imported items. From a geographic point of view, we identified the Northeast region recording the highest rate of inflation of 60.1% and the Greater Accra region recording the least rate of inflation of 31.8% for the month of August 2023. Inflation for the, from the perspective of month-on-month -month inflation, we recorded deflation of 0.2% for the month of August 2023. Disaggregating this from a food and non-food perspective, both food and non-food inflation recorded a deflation of 0.3% and 0.2% for the month of August 2023. Professor Samuel Kobedim there. Let's expand on this further. Joining us via Zoom is an associate professor at the Andrews University in the USA. Professor Williams, prepare for more on this. Professor, prepare. Grateful you could join me on the marketplace. Question is, inflation for August 2023 dropped um, to 40.1% from the 43.1% recorded in July 2023. Good news, you would say? Yeah, um, good afternoon to you um, for calling me. I mean, this is good news. Mm. Uh, but then, um, if you look at the historical trend for Ghana in the line of Ghana's inflation, um, normally, um, the month of August and September are the months that we will see a reduction in the rate of inflation. Mm. Um, this is because um, the end of production cycle or farming cycle in Ghana, especially the southern part, ends in the month of July, June, July. Mm. So food, local food becomes available on the market in the month of August and early part of September. So as more food products are made available on the market, you will see that and the prices will drop. And this is this has been the trend for Ghana. So that is why we have been, we have seen that um, there is a reverse or reduction in the rate of the growth in the inflation rate. So it is not too much a surprising effect or impact, but because of the, the trend or the nature of Ghana's um, um, farming season. That is why we see that August and September normally um, records um, a reduction in, in inflation rate. I see. This point the fact that mm. um, Go ahead. Uh, Ghana as a country should be able to store some food all year round to curtail the, the volatility in the inflation rates. So that is, that is the advice. I was hoping that um, the government has already built about 1,000 warehouses across the country. Mm. And this is the time that we need to store some of the food products that we can and then release them onto the market in, in times of high inflation to, to be able to bring st stable prices. All right. Now, for the first time in the year, inflation for imported products recorded a rate lower than locally produced items. What could be the dynamics accounting for this development? Okay, on that side too, we, we, we could also, on that side too, we could also remember that we have had, a, um, let me put it, a steady um, stabilization in the forex market mm. or the exchange rate. It has hovered around 11 to 12 Ghana cities to $1. Um, so as it becomes stable like that, um, it causes a reduction also 
in, in, in the imported um, items, the prices of imported items. So that is why we also see that, that impact. And remember, we have always been um, advocating that when we have a relatively stable exchange rate mechanism or regime in Ghana, um, you see our inflation rate um, dropping. Mm. And this is the effect. So we could attribute this to the stability in the exchange rates that we have witnessed within the, um, the quarter. All right. Let's talk about the rise in locally um, produced items, which you've mentioned that is because of the dominance of food um, in the market. Now, food inflation dominated that sector. How do we address the rise in food inflation as it keeps rising above the national average? I mean, um, you see... Um, as a basic need for all human beings, um, food is, uh, is an essential element. Mm. And as I mentioned earlier on, um, the government has already built about a thousand warehouses across the country. To be able to bring some form of stability, this is, this is the time that we have to store most of the food product that we have produced. So then we release them onto the market through the Ghana um, um, buffer, buffer stock company uh, limited stock company mm. so more funds should be made available to the Ghana buffer stock company to be able to purchase a lot of foodstuffs and store them and then they release them onto the market in times that they are not available um, I'm sure um, onions and other um, 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 fruits or, or, or vegetables are going to be a challenge, especially onions, because of the conflict or the instability in, in Burkina Faso and Niger. Mm. Strategically, uh, the government must take steps to be able to address this issue. If not, um, when it gets to the time that they are needed, especially in October, November, and December, and they are not in session, it's going to drive food inflation. So strategically, um, now that we have them available, we should be able to think of um, putting plans in place to find a way to store. The advice to also to um, food mothers or anyone involved in cooking, there are so many ways we can preserve onions. Um, these are the, the time that probably we should be able to um, do that and then be able to use them when they are not in, in, in season. So these are, there are a lot of mechanisms that can be put in place from the macro level, the, what the government needs to do, and the micro level, what the individuals also need to do in our homes to be able to ensure that um, we don't uh, inflation does not get out of hand. Mm. But as I mentioned, um, August and September, we, we it's likely to see a reversal or reduction in inflation rate. But then October, November, December is going to pick up again because that is where we don't have a lot of um, food product available. All right, Professor Prepra, quickly, do you think this is sustainable, bearing in mind the factors and the solutions you've proffered to government by way of storage? I mean, um, so not all food items can be stored for too long a time. But the common ones that we eat as Ghanaians, the maize, the yam, um, the cassava, the plantain, those that we are, are, are food that we eat every day, and they are the ones that I'm probably advising government to find a strategy to store, especially the maize. That's mm. what we, both of us, cultivate a lot, and then we lease them onto the market. That can, in that way, we can ensure some form of 
um, stability or sustainability in, in, in keeping the food um, local food prices down in Ghana. If not, um, it's going to get worse. Um, let me also mention that already we know there is a policy in India mm. restricting the importation of rice. Um, so India provides about 80% of rice um, consumption in Africa. And so that kind of policy is also going to hit Ghana very hard in the coming, in the next quarter. So government strategically must look at how we are able to get other sources of supply to augment the rice that comes from India. And if probably the local rice markets can be, um, we can uh, talk to them to increase the production, that will be fairly good. If not, we need to find an alternative source of importing rice into the country to bring a longer stability in, in that market because Ghanaians we consume a lot of rice in on November and December mm. and that is where um, this strategy needs to be to be ensured and implemented by the government. Great. Thank you very much, Professor Williams Pripra. He's an associate professor at Andrews University in the USA, sharing his perspective with us in relation to the inflation story. Now, let's touch on this story we are following up for you. Joy Business is learning that the takeover of the National Investment Bank by an Agricultural Development Bank, ADB, is a done deal. Now, the deal is now awaiting Finance Minister Ken Oforiate's consent for it to be concluded. Earlier, my colleague George Yafe filed this report. Joy Business understands that government hasn't made a definite decision yet when it comes to the takeover of NIB by ADB. But this is highly under consideration. This is because this is part of several options being considered to turn around the National Investment Bank, NIB. Sources say ADB itself may need some additional financial support to undertake this takeover, looking at the current state of NIB. We also understand that government has gotten to that stage where it claims it cannot continue to extend financial support to the National Investment Bank. Some persons close to NIB have also argued that the takeover is not the best option. This is because they have proposed several measures to turn around the bank. Some include a 2.2 billion Ghana cities capital injection to turn around the bank, so that floating of shares to raise additional funds to recapitalize the National Investment Bank. Some of these persons have also argued that NIB itself has taken some steps internally which is yielding some positive results. While developments in the coming days will reveal how things will proceed when it comes to the takeover of NIB by ADB and whether it will come on or not. Let's stay a while longer on this. And joining us via Zoom is Dr. Gladys um, Nabil, Senior Lecturer, Banking and Finance Department at the um, UPSA um, for more on this. Uh, pleasure you could join us, Doc. Now, do you think the potential takeover of NIB by ADB, and really, is it the best time for this to happen? Yeah, good afternoon, and good afternoon to your listeners. Thanks for this opportunity. Yes, I think that a takeover of ADB by, sorry, takeover of NIB by ADB is not the right thing to, decision to take now. Mm, why it so? is very, very problematic, and I don't see ADB to succeed as an instrument of resuscitating MB, uh, NIB's ongoing struggles for so many reasons. The first reason is that when you look at ADB's current financial position, 
to be specific, its income statement, it has made losses in 2022. And if you also consider its uh, cash flow statement, it is not too strong to be able to make a buy or take over decision now. As it is, we are aware of the turbulent uh, economic situation. Most banks are struggling with liquidity issues. And so both a merger or a takeover is not right now until ADB is able to fix itself in a good position to be able to buy a company first. So other reasons other than the struggling um, um, situation of NIB. Well, past experiences have shown that measures and takeovers of local entities have not yielded the adequate return. A typical example is the recent consolidated bank um, example where five banks were merged, right? Exactly. Normally, a good takeover decision should be made at arm's length transaction. What do I mean by arm's length transaction? Mm. NIB should be put in the financial market, excuse me to say, for sale, for prospective buyers to come up with the reasons for which they feel they will be able to take it over and succeed. You know, in the recent uh, past, the trust bank, if you recall, when the capitalization issue came up and shareholders were not interested in injecting capital, it was open and Ecobank was interested and took it successfully. We never had issues. I believe even in the same year, Ecobank was able to break even. Now, if you look at this major or takeover, if ADB is made losses, and given the economic situation, we are not aware whether ADB can turn around its losses to profit by next year or by the end of this year. How then is it able to now take over a company that has accrued so much losses over the years? Since 2021, NIB has been you know, struggling till date. How is it going to consolidate its losses and liabilities to be able to turn around within the shortest possible time? You have to know that during takeover situations, there are a lot of issues that have to be factored in. The consolidation process, which needs to take time, at least it will take ADB not less than six months to be able to stabilize, to bounce back to the economy. So I don't think that this is the right move. And I always would say, Fios, you know, mm. it's generally agreed that policy is politics, and then politics is also policy. But you see, government should not always use this political will or power to exert too much interferences in the management of financial institution, because it risks breaking down the financial system, which is normally a backbone of the, the, the economic growth. I mean, for every economy. Mm. So, genuinely, Wendy's new breakfast two for three dollar biggie bundles let you create your own delicious combo. Choose from a sausage biscuit, egg and cheese biscuit, small seasoned potatoes, and a medium hot coffee. But it's obvious which combo's the best: sausage biscuit and small seasoned potatoes. Well, maybe it's the fresh cracked egg and cheese biscuit with a medium hot coffee, or two savory sausage biscuits. Yeah, whichever you pick, you can't go wrong. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's new two for three dollar biggie bundles. Limited time only. U.S. price and participation may vary. Not valid. Combo, single item at regular price. If, I, if it is a takeover, then government should rather not push ADB, which is 
struggling in its cash flows and profitability to take over um, NID. Uh, NID. Because it's likely to just delay the process in the short run. They'd rather lead the bank into um, um, crisis in the long run. All right. Shouldn't we rather consider injecting capital into the two banks separately to revive the operations? Some have argued. Exactly. That could be another way to go. Mm. Instead of a merger at this time. If I don't merge two struggling banks, excuse me to say, at different levels together and you expect to succeed. Because as I mentioned, the current finances of ADB is not too good enough. And it, it, it is an, an issue that a lot of banks are also facing. Liquidity crisis, the current economic issues... Even with the, you can link it to the current um, um, debt crisis that the Ghana had to recently, you know, mm, debt um, program. Yeah. Yes. So it is not going to be easy for even government to inject that needed capital easily, because it it is now sourcing out for um, loans to be able to even stabilize the economy. How more now? you know, giving out a, a, a lending of last resort, you know, function to the, the banks that are struggling now. As it is, we do not even know most of the private banks, whether they also have similar situations that may fall on the central bank for assistance. So I think that it should just purely be left for the private investors. It's even possible that other banks that are in good standing now would want to take over um, you know, NIB, and that will lessen the burden on government, you know, trying to come in at a time that it is not in a good position to do that. All right. Dr. Nabil, quickly, um, for what you said, what advice will you give to government to turn around the lost fortunes of the, uh, both banks, respectively? Yes. So for um, ADB, it can consider, you know, giving them some finances if they need as a lender of last resort to, you know, work hard to improve upon the losses that they incurred last year. Mm. Now with NIB, the best way to go is to allow private investors, both international or nationally, to, you know, express interest and take it over. And like I gave you the example with the issue of TTB, when Ecobank had the financial muzzle to take it over, mm. they didn't have any problems and it was a smooth, a smooth transition. That didn't bring any panic or contagion effect on um, the economic financial situation. If this move is not carefully done and then it brings about bank runs and panics like it happened quite recently in the major of most of the financial institutions, mm. It will be difficult for Ghana to recover. All right. Thank you very much, Dr. Nabil, for your time here on the marketplace. We shall, of course, follow up on that um, developing story and keep you posted in our subsequent bulletins. It's Wednesday. Let's talk um, tech now. And according to a newly released report from Wimbet, the leading PR agency specializing in tech and startup sectors across Africa and emerging markets, 71% of African tech investors will not invest follow-on funding in the startup failing to provide them with regular reporting updates titled Startup Performance Reporting in Africa. What do investors want to know? The report's findings underscores the significant and timely need for funders across the ecosystem to reprioritize communication efforts with their existing investor base to support their long-term funding requirements. 
Here to discuss on our Let's Talk Tech segment is Henry Kobler, lead for ISOL Africa. Um, Henry, good to know you are on with us. What does this report say and is this peculiar to techpreneurs only? Thank you very much. Uh, so um, in, in the report, it's um, generally saying that, I mean, most startups which are based in Africa basically are descending on reporting to their founders or investors. I mean, generally, uh, when it comes down to the startup world, you, you're well aware that we have a lot of um, venture capitalists, um, most of the stakeholders, the um, angel investors, we have um, the incubators, the, all of them basically coming together to sort of push in funding into most of the startups that are based in, in Africa and around the world globally. But you're looking at Africans uh, and how basically have dealt with the funding opportunities that sort of have to come on our tables. We definitely do not get to report back to our investors who are putting some level of funding in there. So there's quite a number of inconsistency in terms of even the fund, the, the funding uh, pointers and then the, the uh, what do you call it, the funds that come in to, together for most of these companies. And that becomes a problem really for a lot of uh, the, the companies that are pushing money into it now. Definitely, I mean, if you're looking at the global sector where we're having close to almost about 50% here on um, less um, investment coming into startups, this becomes a problem. Which is, which is going to be for most of the new startups that are coming in. And generally, I'm, I'm looking at it uh, relatively in the way where African startups have been on the edge to sort of uh, raise funding. I mean, most of the modes where I've seen are basically uh, most true competitions where most startups have to put together uh, competitive uh, ideas, which is sometimes not even realistic. I mean, but basically looking at most of the emerging markets that are coming up, you, you're sort of forced to put together business ideologies at all. And then you have most of these people uh, putting together a lot of pitch pitch decks and all of that, getting to the competitions, being first or second in these competitions and being able to get some of these parts. And so generally the expertise in terms of being an entrepreneur, understanding what entrepreneurship generally means, being able to put together a company, manage the company, uh, relatively gets to be on the low. And so you, you don't really get the results. Hence, generally running away from reporting to the, the founders or the uh, investment companies are sort of um, pushing in funding into this business. But Henry, with Africa nurturing several budding tech um, startups, how is this likely to affect uh, DFS, uh, DFS, uh, DFIs and other investors supporting the sector, basically? I mean, generally, when it comes down to the venture capitalist uh, point, is transparency is big. Like, it, it's most important. And so you realize that consistency in terms of reporting is very important to a lot of the, the angel investors and the stakeholders that are in the system. And so if they're not getting reports, how are they getting visibility and transparency or sort of accountability in exactly how much they're putting in, what, what are their return on investments and all of those things. And generally when you're looking at that, it's generally going to affect a lot of the startups that are coming up. Uh, like I said, it might not necessarily be a big problem because there are quite a number of startups that have like um, very good ideas on the table and definitely are sort of... Um, creating their own funding streams themselves. Uh, and so it will probably not be a bigger problem. But we're looking at the general overhaul of, of startups um, and the opportunities that it sort of brings in for a lot of people to sort of put in money. I mean, this makes it very difficult to go through due diligence uh, when it comes out to African startups. And so it's sort of going to be very difficult uh, getting some of the startups passed through whilst the ideas probably should be uh, viable for the market. But they sort of have to go through vigorous um, what do you call it? Um, 
in terms of um, reporting, it's going to be very rigorous, and in terms of actually going through uh, checks before they sort of have to get funding, it's sort of going to be very difficult. For All right. In, in a minute, how do we contextualize this? Um, Ghana compared to other African countries in terms of the tech startups, considering the fact that Nigeria has a buzzing supportive ecosystem for tech startups? I mean, if you're looking at the ecosystem, I can't necessarily compare because it depends on the different ecosystems within the tech sector that, that can come in. I mean, I've seen Nigerians always making some level of strides and there's some level of aggressiveness when it comes out to them raising funding and all of that. Again, you also have in most of the, the opportunities uh, with most of their people on most of the venture capitalist boards and all of that. That actually enhances the opportunities to get the funding and their aggressiveness in terms of being able to uh, keep the funding coming in. I mean, remember, the funding is not just one stage, it's several stages. And so sometimes just get one funding uh, coming in. It's not necessarily all that, that happens. And so we're looking at that. For me, Ghana makes a good, a good pride when it comes out to some of these uh, reporting terms and all of that. But again, I think that what right. our problem really is, is the, the, uh, what you call it, the due diligence that we sort of go to, which is becoming exceedingly difficult for all us. All right. Thank you very much, Henry Kobler, for your time here on the marketplace. This is the lead of ISOL Africa speaking to us on Let's Talk today. And that's it for the marketplace. I am Pius Kujubaka. Let's connect on Business Life at 5 p.m. More news on myjoyonline.com forward slash business. Grateful serving you. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.